the Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. Good morning, it's Saturday, we're bright and early. It is the Bucket List with me, Beefy, the world's biggest sports fan, and as always, the lovely, the gorgeous Diana Simons. Diana, how are you this morning? Fantastic, Beefy. I was just thinking how I love to spend my weekends. You know what I love doing? Going out for brekkie on the weekends. I love reading the paper. I really enjoy my eggs on toast, especially with a good coffee. But you know, one thing that I really hate is is when you get the newspaper from the cafe and one particular page is glued to each other because somebody has had the last remnants of their egg maybe jam sticking to the paper. I hate to think what kind of remnants of whatever you're talking about is spilled on that paper and why. That can be pretty gross. Today, joining us on the line is Jono Coleman. Good morning, Jono. Welcome to Saturday morning. Tell me, Jono, how do you like to spend your Saturday mornings? What do you not like, normally like to do? Get over Friday night, usually. But also, my wife and I go to the gym for about an hour. And uh, and then we, we usually go to a local cafe and have scrambled eggs and smoked salmon and try and have healthy green or juice and coffee and after a week of doing bits and pieces on uh, on Studio 10, the weekend is pretty much lazy, put your feet up, take it easy, and maybe do a bit of exercise, but as little as possible. That is the perfect start to any weekend. It's hopefully full of sporting engagements. Jono, oh, yeah. we'll get back to you a bit later in the hour. If you're keen to stick around, we'll talk to you about your bucket list. No worries. I'll have a coffee and hang around here reading yesterday's paper. <laughs> yeah, talk to you soon. And Kale from Croydon's on the phone. Kale, you've got a funny story about the Geelong Cup. Yeah, I've got a, a, an invite down to the Geelong Cup uh, on a corporate thing with, with one of my great mates. And we we're all uh, in a circle before the races started uh, at the end of last year. I'm not a big punter at all, but these guys sort of said, hey, look, let's let's have a go at the quaddies. I thought, yeah, no worries, I'll jump in. So it was uh, $50 each. Throughout the uh, the other legs, they were uh, high-paid horses. You know, we had to have some real roughies come in and the quaddie was going to pay a heap. So down to the last race and um, we're all watching um, uh, the, the cup and the, and, and the horse came in. So... Uh, after a couple of years, you know, we're all pretty excited. And then um, figure came up on the screen what the quaddie paid, and it was uh, $48,000. Wow. Not being an inexperienced punter, I was, uh, you know, this was the greatest thing of all time. You know, for $50, I'd, I thought I was going uh, a third in 48000 <laughs> carried on like an idiot and uh, partied it up and, Everyone was watching me, and uh, and then the guys let me let me have it about you know five minutes later, and tapped me on the shoulder and said, "You realise we only got ten percent of it." So, <laughs> although uh, I was pretty gutted at the time, I look, I still won fifteen hundred, but uh, I had already spent it before I got it. I thought, "Yeah, I'll buy a new car," and I thought I was going to get a lot uh, about you know, you know fifteen fifteen grand. So uh, I was pretty disappointed, but hey, I still. Uh, Still had 1500 to take home for the day. No, so. exactly. So at least you went home a winner. A bit disappointed, but um, yeah, look, they, got a, they certainly got a good laugh out of uh, watching me knowing or thinking that I had won uh, so much money. Uh, and uh, yeah, my face apparently was priceless when I realised that I hadn't. We still won for the day, didn't we? Exactly. Well, Kyle, thanks a lot. And uh, hopefully you'll get 20% in next year's quaddy. I might have to make a bit more of an, uh, an investment of uh, more than $50 next time. And I might uh, might come home with the full quid. Exactly. See you later. Listening to the Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. It's a Bucket List with Diana Simons and Beefy. Today we have a very exciting guest. He is the 15-time winner of the Birdman Rally. Please, everybody, welcome Mick Paul. Welcome to the program. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, 
great, great to be here. We kind of feel not worthy. 15-time winner. 15 entries and, and about 13 wins. Oh, don't sell yourself I've short, been... Meg. It's all right. <laughs> He's been pegged a couple of times. How far have you actually gone? What's your record, Mick? 27 and a half metres of a four-metre ramp. Wow. Wow, that's uh, pretty impressive. Obviously, it's on at Moomba, the biggest attraction of Moomba. Obviously, don't worry about the water skiing and the jumps and stuff. Birdman is where we like to see people jump off. But Mick, in all seriousness, you train for this. What What is your regimen? Are you on a special diet? Are you, do you flap your arms like a bird to practice, you know, strengthening those wings? What does an athlete do to practice for the Birdman Rally? <laughs> as far as it goes, I do lay off the soft drinks because I don't want to be too heavy on the day. And uh, I have been known to strap it to my back and run around the paddock to try and test it out. <laughs> Quite amusing, people driving past. And these are all the all the bits of preparation people don't realise that you put in and the commitment that you spend. You know, it's commendable. Fifteen years in a row. Yeah, look, it's, it's for the love of it too. I I grew up watching it on TV. Said when I was old enough, I'd uh, compete. I've been in it for the last fifteen years straight. Mick, you're saying about obviously doing it at Moomba off the four metre platform. Now the world record yes. is seventy nine metres. Obviously, that was off a bigger platform, and it, that was at Long Beach in California. Have you thought about taking this to a worldwide level? Go to Bogner. Go to there's a fluke tag in Dubai, I think, which is pretty high, uh, and obviously Long Beach is uh, is pretty huge so have you thought about taking on the rest of the world yeah mick there's a big wide world out there waiting for you that, that is a bit of a question and uh, i suppose it does uh, deserve uh, to entertain some thought about that if people haven't seen the basically the records of flute tag or birdman it is basically a hang glider driven to get the longest flight it is a hang glider style technique that people use there's different rules the the, the flute tag runs a separate set of rules to the Birdman Rally. Right. The Birdman Rally, you're not allowed to use commercially made aircraft. It all has to be handmade. Yeah. What, what do you um, What do you use there? I've made a big mono wing. It's the maximum distance you're allowed, eight metres wide, two metres in cord. Weighs about 20 kilos, perfected the, the weight over many years <laughs> and the aerofoils and there is a lot of engineering behind this. It's not all just um, strap a wing to your back and run as fast as you can and jump. I do design the wings on a computer-aided software, oh. run it through virtual wind tunnels, but there's nothing like strapping it to your back and, um, <laughs> as I said, running across the paddock to feel how it actually works. That's the Aussie way. Tell me something. Do you actually get a chance to practice off the Yarra or is it just on the day? One hit. One oh, go. Golly. That's it. It's all over. That's it. You fly into the river. Once the craft, we're going to call it a craft, once that hits the river, does it disintegrate? Mine are pretty robust. I normally land upright. It could be reused, but each year there's modifications, and every year after that I'd build a complete new one from scratch. Does the winner get their craft put on display at all? Uh, No. I've got a few hanging around in a mate's shed. Bit of a sight. Got your own museum. And what's the craziest craft or the craziest outfit you've seen? Can you list one? List them all. Um, no, I'd, I'd I'd have to give the, the most memorable moment to uh, a competitor, uh, Peter Day, that uh, launched off the platform and did a complete backflip. Oh. Landed landed on his craft upside down, stepped into the rescue boat and uh, returned to the shore dry as a bone. Oh, that's the best way of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> hey Mick, you said you've been you've ended this fifteen times. How much money have you actually raised over the past fifteen times you've ended? Somewhere around the forty thousand dollar mark. No, it's very good. Thank you very much.
Mick, best of luck in the Birdman down at the Yarrow River. Mick is generally the favourite to take out the Birdman. Mick, thanks for joining us on the bucket list, and we wish you the best of luck in this year's Birdman. Thank you very much. Have a great night. This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. We're back on The Bucket List with me, Beefy and Diana Simons, and join us from Studio 10, it's Jono Coleman. Jono, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, guys. I hope you're having a good Saturday. I always have a good Saturday. But as you say, at Studio 10, we uh, we get up pretty early to do the show. On the weekend, uh, I usually just sort of take it pretty easy, watch a bit of sport. You know, um, I remember rushing home from school, watching the first episode of Simon Townsend's Wonderworld and seeing you. My God, you must be nearly as old as me. You must be in your mid-30s by now. <laughs> that was an interesting one. How did you get that gig? I mean, that was that the first gig on TV? Yeah, yeah. I was working for a radio station, actually, uh, 2WS in Sydney, WSFM. became gold in Melbourne as well. From there, I met a couple of people. They said, oh, you know, they're auditioning for a new kids show called Wonderworld. It was like a sort of current affairs show for kids. Yeah. It was kind of like, you know, pet stories and dog stories. And I started doing that in 1980, Channel 10 on the O10 network. Did it for five years. I never really stopped after that doing TV shows, Saturday Morning Live, and bits on Hey Hey It's Saturday, and Jono and Dano TV shows and Jono and Dano radio shows. It's been very good to me. You know, one thing I do remember about the, those shows initially were they used to have the theme song Afternoon Delight. That was only in the first sort of six months. People rang in and wrote in to Simon Townsend saying, you know that Afternoon Delight means when adults get together, sometimes in a hotel room and have a have a bit of a sporting afternoon or a bit of Afternoon Delight. Maybe that's not the greatest thing for a kids' TV show. <laughs> Channel 10 took them seriously and they, the actual Wonderworld theme was commissioned, which was that sort of, would you believe anything can happen? Would you believe anything is possible? The Wonderworld theme. I mean, you must have been an early viewer because a lot of people don't remember the afternoon for life. Yeah, that was why they got rid of it anyway, because people thought it was about a bit of hanky-panky in the afternoon. I have dug up an interesting fact on you, Jono. Mm seems that in 1988, you had a bit part on a very big Australian movie. Which movie are you talking about? Young Einstein. Ah, yeah. It was very exciting. Young Einstein did quite well, actually. Yeah, it did. I remember it in the UK. So it was a worldwide hit. Talking of the UK, I do remember you being on Virgin Radio. Uh, whilst you were in London, what what yeah. did you what kind of sports did you follow and what did you miss? Or what's still on your kind of bucket list to go and see that you may have missed out, even though you were in the UK for, well, how long? 20 years, I suppose? 16, no, 16 years. 16. 16 years in the UK. Both the kids, Oscar and Emily, were both born in London. Um, and Oscar became a Mad U supporter. One of his birthdays, when he was about seven or eight, uh, I organised for us to go to um, Old Trafford and um, and spend the weekend at Old Trafford, go to the Manchester United Museum, and I organised for him to meet Alex Ferguson. <laughs> that was part of my bucket list, really. I wanted to meet Alex Ferguson, and I was lucky enough that he was promoting a book at the time, and he was doing a function. So I made a point of making sure that we were at the function that he was at. Nice. Uh, I kicked that off the bucket list. And later on in my career in London, I was at an event where I had to in, uh, introduce Kylie Minogue at one of those awards lunches. I was sitting at a table with Paul Spice and David Beckham. So I kicked another thing off my bucket list because I had a big chat with David Beckham and I met him a couple of times. Like I was a big hero in the eyes of my son. Anything to do with Wayne Rooney or Paul Scholes or 
you know, David Beckham, it was like, gee, thanks, Dad. <laughs> Obviously, Virgin and Richard Branson involved yeah. with the London Broncos as well, the rugby league team. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was involved in the, the London Broncos first because it was basically like the Broncos team came to, to London, the Brisbane Broncos, but like the B team, really good players from the Brisbane Broncos came over to London to try and make rugby league a bit more popular in London. I got involved. They said, you know, would you be involved in helping to promote rugby league in London? And I was still working for Virgin Radio doing Russ and John and the breakfast show. So I talked Richard Branson into uh, sponsoring the team and it became the Virgin Radio sponsoring the London Broncos. Got into about three games and I had to sit next to Richard the whole time and explain what was going <laughs> on. And it was fantastic. There I am sitting at the stoop in London watching usually the London Broncos being beaten by some northern team. Hmm. And Richard Branson sort of going, what are we doing here? Why are they losing? It was all that kind of wasn't great for the Virgin brand. We had a fantastic time, and I think he learned quite a bit about Aussies. And uh, he used to quiz me about, because it was a time when he wanted to start flying to Australia. So I guess in some very, very distant galaxy, you can say I'm partly responsible Mm -hmm. for Richard Branson getting Virgin Airlines away in Australia because he started talking to Qantas and started talking to uh, various uh, government airline uh, officials here uh, on the strength of our chats at those London Broncos games. Mm. So I've always had a good kind of working relationship with Richard. You've obviously been to a lot of stuff around the world. What's left to tick off for you, Jono? So I was at the opening of the Sydney Olympics doing radio shows back to Heart FM in London with 20 listeners, which was very strange because here I am being an, an Aussie at heart, even though I was born in London, uh, but being with a bunch of Londoners in Sydney for the 2000 Olympics. So that was a bit of a bucket list moment for me. And also doing part of our radio show from the Sydney Harbour Bridge, which scared the bejesus out of me because it was just getting dark. We were doing the breakfast show on Heart, 106.2. We had people on the phone talking to us from the top of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Uh, And it got dark and it was getting quite windy. And there was lots of seagulls flying around, chomping at those giant moths, you know, those bogon moths. Yeah. That was pretty scary. So that was another one off the old bucket list. Wow, Jono, I tell you what, you have been to so many different events. You're such a lucky man. I thank my lucky stars. I mean, I've had my uh, brushes with fame with Elton John and with working for Richard Branson with Sting, interviewing Sting lots of times, having Richard Branson as a boss and, you know, meeting George Harrison and, and Paul McCartney on a number of occasions and also now doing Russ and Jono podcast. So we've got back together again after 20-something years and we're doing these Russ and Jono rebooted podcasts and we're doing those once a week. So I'm in a studio in Sydney and Russ is in a studio in London and we podcast and we had Leo Sayer on last week. We've had Katrina from Katrina and the Waves. Thanks, Jono. Oh, yeah. Jono Kalman, thank you so much for telling us what's been on your bucket list. Hopefully talk to you again soon. Anytime, guys, and have a great weekend yourselves. The horses are on the track. And we've got Louise on the line. Louise, thanks for calling. I believe you won the tickets to go to the polo down at St Kilda the other night. I did. It was a real treat. Did you see some famous celebs there? Well, I can tell you that there were some beautiful people in beautiful clothes. They were really elegant. Not what I expected for Melbourne polo. I would call it sort of refined, trendy, a little edgy. They would totally have fit in with the New York Hamptons or the Greenwich, Connecticut polo crowd or even... um, the Blue Bloods and Kennedys from the North Shore of Boston. 
They were on point. We are a sophisticated bunch here in Melbourne, and I believe they had a hairdressing salon there or something. Yes, they made the prettier people even prettier. <laughs> These people had their hair styled by a pro and then had a photographer capture the moment for social media. My friends around the world gave me the thumbs up, so I feel like I got value for those tickets. Thank you. Right. Well, we are a sports show, believe it or not. How was the actual <laughs> polo itself? The polo players were gorgeous, beautifully dressed. The players walked around in between the matches and answered questions for the crowd. They did something called a chukka. I guess you know better than I, but they have four goes, each lasting seven minutes, and then whoever wins those four wins a total game. The experience itself, though, you kind of understood what was going on. Obviously, you just got to get the ball through the poles That's uh, with a mallet. It's football with Sticks. horses. Yeah. <laughs> Sticks and horses, yeah. Yeah, and but they have two horses per rider, so they, they rest one in between. I, I didn't know this, but someone mentioned to me that um, these are really race horses that didn't quite cut it. The polo people go around and, and pick the good ones and turn them into polo ponies. Yeah. You know, recycling horses. I've never heard of that before. Everything. Polo was really good. It really was. They didn't use the regular PVC ball. They used a rubber ball just in case it went into the crowd. So that was a safety thing. Usually the the harder ball is the thing that they hope that the horses don't get in the eye when they play in in real polo. I felt like I was in a Ralph Lauren movie. Nice. Did people get to pat the horses or get up close to them? Not really. They, they got close enough to take photos or selfies across the gate. They're a little shifty, those horses. You have to very high energy. You don't want to mess them up. Mm, oh, there you enough. go. They had a bit of a competition in the sand. Yeah, the Treasure Chest Breast Cancer Charity had this competition to win a $4,500 heart white gold and diamonds. And people paid $50 to have a chance to find keys in the sand with their toes. But it was the same sand that the horses had pooed in. And they, <laughs> they raked it. Then people took off their shoes, not really thinking about what had happened before and were going for that key for all it was worth. It was really funny. Oh, well. For $4,500, I, I guess I would take off my shoes for five minutes. Awesome. Glad you had a great time at the polo and uh, thanks I for listening. Did. Thank you. I really wanted to play myself because I ride horses, but maybe next time. Maybe next year. That's it. There's a goal for next year. This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. And we got Carrie from Ormond on the line. Hello, Carrie. Hi, Di. How are you? Good. Tell me, what is on your bucket list? I love cheese. And there is an amazing cheese rolling sporting event in England. And that's what I want to go to see. Yeah. Cooper's Hill in Gloucestershire. Maybank holiday. Crazy stuff, crazy stuff. You basically get a wheel of cheese, you roll it down a hill, and lots of people run after it for no apparent reason. <laughs> but I've got a lot of buffering on me. I think I'm going to go for it this year. I'm going to try. Wow. I love my cheese. Yep. <laughs> you do realise, though, it's, it's not quite the Isle of Man, TT, but there have been some injuries with oh, this particular competition. I know, I've heard about the injuries, but again, I've got that double layer of um, protection. I've been eating a lot of cheese, so I figure I'll be able to roll down that hill. Do you know um, Do you know what they, they've got at the bottom of the hill as well? They've, they hire a local rugby team to actually tackle people to stop them going through the hedge at the bottom of the hill? I did not know that. Oh my God, being tackled by rugby players on the way to finding cheese. Brilliant. <laughs> That's it. 
That's like a bonus. You know, the reigning champ is actually a soldier. He's done himself an injury. You've got some stiff competition there, you know. Uh, I know, I know, I know. But I still think with my enthusiasm and um, rolling technique, I reckon I can do it. <laughs> Tuck those arms in. Are you planning on practicing? I mean, apart from, you know, eating the cheese? Well, I've been training a little bit. Like, I've been pushing my way through queues of buffets. So that's kind of <laughs> a sideways training program. That's brilliant. Of course, those cheeses, they roll to speeds of 70 miles per yeah. hour as well. There's only one Australian that's won as well. I think he was a prop for the Wallabies. Was he? Really? Yeah, definitely one Australian has won it, and he was a Wallaby prop. Because I did come across some information saying one of the fiercest competitors was an Aussie man called Mangoes. He wore... <laughs> You listen to oh, this. Oh, you know about that. He wore budgie smugglers and boots. It's it's the, the Aussie way to go. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to need an extra few layers of protection and um, about the budgie smuggler technique, but it kind of worked for him, right? It did. He called the race the most exhilarating thing you can do. <laughs> I look forward to that. There is a ladies' race specifically for ladies, so uh, there is opportunity for you to uh, to take this out. And I, I know um, a few years ago there was a model called Joe Guest who actually had your technique. She literally rolled down the hill doing cartwheels, and she won by quite a long way. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, I, actually, I'm no model. <laughs> I might be able to compete with it. So right. it just proves that anyone can win this. Absolutely. I'm going to follow your progress. In fact, myself and Rob, we might even make a documentary about your progress. And, and your training <laughs> regimen. Well, yeah, again, I can only reiterate that Aussie cheeses are fantastic. We kind of need a competition here, I think, like the Red Hill rolling nice. cheese competition. Myself and Di, we're onto it. Yeah, yeah, we should yeah, definitely do Island that. Breeze. King Island Breeze. That'd be awesome. Carrie, wanted to sh- we wanted to thank you for sharing your buckle of sport, the cheese rolling competition. My pleasure. You've motivated me to eat, eat more cheese to <laughs> train for it. <laughs> All the best. Have a great weekend, Carrie. Thank you. Bye. You're on the bucket list with Beefy and Di. We've got a call up. Paul, Tooby, the world famous hashtag Lone Conta fan. Tubes, how are you going? <laughs> Not bad, thanks. I don't know about world famous. I did have a couple of days of people chatting about me on the internet. Mate, I saw the picture on numerous websites and uh, publications through the UK, so all around the world. Why don't you tell us about why you are quite famous or your 15 minutes of fame just in the during the Australian Open? I was just a guy who went to the tennis, but I guess what I was wearing and the, and the fact that I had a few empty seats around me allowed a photographer to uh, grab an opportune picture that made it look like I was the only guy there watching Joe Conter at three o'clock in the morning. Actually, there was a couple of hundred people still there, but uh, they uh, like to twist these things into making one guy look crazy. So, so there I was in my uh, England top with my England flag and looking like this crazy bloke who was obsessed with Joanna Conter. Actually, I mean, as you know with the tennis, you buy your ticket to go along for an evening and you've got no idea who you're going to see. It was just uh, quite fortunate, actually, that the um, English girl was playing. And I actually went along with four mates, but the rest of them just didn't have the stamina to stay until until three o'clock in the morning. Whereas, as you know about me, I'm just determined to get my money's worth out of my ticket and I, I'm not going to leave until there's no tennis left to watch. <laughs> well, and at 3.15 in the morning, there generally isn't any tennis left to watch. <laughs> It was an unusually late finish. It was an unusually late start as well. That, that match didn't start until half past midnight. And uh, I was thinking maybe they'd look for an alternative and maybe let the ladies go to bed instead. They pressed on and so did a couple of hundred fans who decided we had nothing better to do than watch tennis all night. <laughs> no, that's right. Now, Tubes, you are, you're nearly as big a sports fan as me. I'm saying that <laughs> mildly. Um, mate, what, what are some of the biggest events you've been to and what are still on the bucket list for you? I'm a huge fan of the Football World Cup, and I was there in Germany in 2006. 
And then I've ticked off the Cricket World Cup because the last final was at the MCG here in Melbourne. I was there at that one. Big three for um, an English sports fan, uh, uh, the uh, the football, the cricket and the rugby. And I'm off to Japan later this year to uh, complete the trifecta and check out a bit of World Cup rugby, which should be a fantastic trip. I'm a big sports fan, but haven't quite committed to it in the way that you have with your uh, ludicrous world travelling, watching every sport and a lot of things that some people might say aren't sports. But uh, I've got more and more into watching my sport as the years have gone on. So I've been to the uh, Aussie Open tennis loads and loads of times, and it's made me think, how come I never went to Wimbledon when I lived in England? That's another one that I've got to tick off. Yep. All the best, man. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye. This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. Welcome back to The Bucket List. You're with Beefy and Diana Simons and our weekly guest, Daniel Ciccone from Sportsnet Holidays. Going to be chatting about the Rugby World Cup, which is taking place in Japan later this year. When is the event taking place and how long does it go for? Diana, it's kicking off on the 20th of September. The host, Japan, are taking on Russia in the opening ceremony at Tokyo Stadium. And it concludes on the 2nd of November, where the final will be held in Yokohama. It goes for approximately six weeks, the ninth Rugby World Cup. Zealand have won three of those, Australia won two. Africa too and, and England have won the other one. Why Japan for the Rugby World Cup though? It's the third biggest sporting event in the world behind the Olympics and, and the FIFA World Cup. It's the first Rugby World Cup not staged in either Europe, South Africa, New Zealand or Australia. Japan is also one of the, the hottest destinations out of Australia right now and it's what we consider the, the perfect event store. So there's going to be 12 cities uh, throughout Japan from major cities like Tokyo and Yokohama, up to beautiful Sapporo in the north and, and down to Oida in the south. I'm from Wales. Rugby is our uh, bread and butter. This is the sport we live for. We love the Rugby World Cup. Obviously, Australia and Wales are in the same pool, so uh, that is going to be such a huge match. It's an enormous match, uh, and, and the one I'm looking forward to the most in the group game, 29 September at Tokyo Stadium. Other big matches, obviously, Australia will take on Fiji and Sapporo on the 21st of September. Uruguay in Oida on the 5th of October. And our other group game is, is Georgia on the 11th of October. Uh, outside of the world, these matches, uh, you know, New Zealand take on South Africa uh, at Yokohama on the 21st. Looking forward to that one. Always an enormous match. Japan v Ireland. That will probably be one of the most powerful matches mm. of the Rugby World Cup on the 28th of September. England-France on the 12th of October, which will be a beauty. It is a huge, huge sport in Japan. It's it's a very corporate sport as well. The actual following club rugby gets is quite phenomenal. So you can expect a lot of passion from the Japanese fans. No doubt. No doubt, Beefy. But our packages are broken up different types. So we have a, a do-it-yourself type package. Tickets, accommodation, and some transfers to a match. We have our all-inclusive escorted tours where you can follow the Wallabies or the finals, whichever one you prefer. Uh, we have our flight and ticket packages. That's for, for those that already have their accommodation sorted in Japan. And our last one, which is my favourite one, we have what's called our sports cruises packages. Experience Rugby World Cup, experience Japan as a destination and, and the Japanese culture, and with a princess cruise as well. I've been on princess cruises. They are amazing. They call it the love boat. <laughs> No, it is because it was actually the love boat was filmed on Princess Cruises. Ah, yeah, there you go. Right. Didn't yeah. know that. Very nice. It's one of the best liners. It really is amazing. You know what I love about Sportsnet tours as well is you guys always have these extras that that just aren't available otherwise, like your little your little ads on your special experiences. And I bet you've got some great ones for this one too. For the Rugby World Cup, we're going to give our clients the opportunity, those especially going on our escorted tours, to experience sumo tournaments and geisha performances. And we'll take them to some sake breweries for some taste testing. And we'll also do the special destinations like Mount Fuji and Hiroshima. 
outside of that, we'll, we'll give them some real rugby experiences as well. So we'll have some exclusive functions throughout the entire tournament uh, where we'll have a, a rugby personality MC. We'll have former players uh, as special guests. You know, they'll form a panel to discuss the forthcoming matches, photo and signature opportunities. I'm glad you mentioned the sumo, Daniel. There is a Tokyo Grand Tournament on just before, on the eve of the when the Rugby World Cup kicks off. And I can tell you from experience, I've been to the sumo in Tokyo. You have to go. If you're in Tokyo while the sumo's on, it is an experience not to be missed. Sumo tournaments are right up there. The tickets to the, the general public right now are basically sold out. The event starts in September. We make it easy for our clients. Sounds awesome. Thanks for giving us a bit of a uh, update. We look forward to that Wales versus Australia game. Very, very excited about that one myself. And how do they get in contact with you? On our, on our free call number, 1300 from anywhere within Australia, or they can visit our website at sportsnetholidays.com. Daniel Ciccone from Sportsnet Holidays, thank you so much for your time. Diana Beasley, thank you. Always a pleasure.